Welcome to the Convergence Podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. It's a space to think, question, doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We're glad you're here. So this is our talk, A Spirituality of Study, and our guest is Dr. David Harvey. Hope you enjoy this message on A Spirituality of Study. I'm going to start recording after I said that bit. So um, it's so good to be here with you for free this evening. And um, <laughs> that was a slow burn there, wasn't it? Um, all right, what are we talking about? We're talking about the spirituality of, of study and... Um, I'm just, sorry, I'm, I'm doing everything here, so forgive me for a second while we get it all in the right, uh, in the right place. I, I just, I felt that moment when you were praying, Phil, about all of our exams that we have going on, and I was like, oh, what a subject to talk about at this point of the year. Like, who wants to talk about that? Um, I, I, I suppose at some level, study something that's fascinated me for for a lot of my life and and I and particularly when it comes to study as a spiritual pursuit um I I, I maybe just very brief bit of biography I suppose at the start uh, my background is one where I, I I grew up in Pentecostal churches and we were Pentecostal churches that were super traditional and um one of the things that's taken me about 43 years to learn is super traditional and a real passion for the Holy Spirit don't always work really well together, right? Because the Holy Spirit wants to break boxes and generally we like building them. And so I kind of hit my late teens and watched a lot of my friends kind of, and maybe you can relate to this story, but sort of lose interest in the traditional aspect of what we were doing as, as Christians, which led to ultimately them kind of losing interest in Jesus. It's amazing how, how at, at formative points in your life, that barrier between what I do and what I believe can be so heavily kind of linked into each other. And, and let's think a little bit about that. But for me, I always had this sort of fascination with the Bible. And um, I don't actually know where that came from. We can, we can uh, speculate on that in your own time. And perhaps after this conversation, you might have some thoughts on that. But um, I ended up going to, to, to seminary, and I arrived at, at Bible College, and, and which then became seminary work for me. Sorry, forgive me, uh, get my language better, but I, I arrived as this very traditional person, and I arrived at, at Bible College essentially hoping to get a degree which would confirm all the stuff I knew. <laughs> and uh, because I knew a lot of stuff, I'd studied a lot of stuff, and I was pretty happy with who Jesus was. And... Um, and, and, it, and I kind of arrived at this place, and all of a sudden there's all these people with different ideas than mine, and we were asked to, to learn stuff that we'd never heard of before. And I was, I was asked to learn languages, to read the Bible I'd been reading for, for a long time. And then I started reading the Bible differently um, because of these languages. But when you first start learning biblical languages, you're not very good at it. And then after about 20 years, you're still not actually that good at it. And, um, and that's kind of basically what you commit to. And, and there's always somebody better at it than you are. And what happens as a result of that is you start having to read the Bible really slowly because you don't actually know the words anymore. And I think that did something in me um, because 
I, I realized over the course of my three years of, of, of Bible college, and then because I wasn't very good at Bible college, I went back to university for a few more years to do a master's degree. Still wasn't overly great at it, so I went back to university again to do a doctorate and have basically accepted I have no idea what's going on in the Bible sometimes. But, but what that did for me was this deep in this belief that if we commit ourselves to study, and I want to talk a little bit about what I mean by study, things can change in us. Because I think I, I as a 20-year-old, turn up, turned up to begin a sort of you know, more intense life of study of the Bible with some very, very fixed ideas. And, and God was very small, actually, in my world. And now, as somebody who's decided I'm always going to be studying this, God has become very, very big in all of that and, and brought, but I have changed massively in that time period. So gone from somebody who thought, I just need a certificate to show what I know to somebody that kind of really is very aware of the fact that I don't know much about this at all, hence why Phil co covers me on subjects like the Trinity and, um, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't, and I don't say this, I don't say this in any way as a boast, so please forgive me. I, at some level, when I tell my story, people go, oh, this, your story sounds like a, bit like a deconstruction process, that you went in with beliefs and you, and you came out the other side. But I never think of it that way because I don't have a point in those sort of 24 years where, where Jesus disappeared on me. For me, it was a journey of I was living in a box in a big house, and I decided that the box was the whole house. And my journey is not one of saying, oh, this house is terrible, let me throw it out and do something else. It was to actually realize that what made the house terrible was I was living in a box thinking that was the full extent of the house. For me, what study has always done when it comes to the spiritual aspect of my study, it just convinced me consistently that Jesus is much bigger than I realized, uh, that Jesus is much more expansive than I'd realized. And many of the strictures that I have put on Jesus are comfortable for me. And Jesus has somehow in his grace and humility lives within them and speaks to me within them. And then when I'm ready for it, uh, I, you know, points out that I'm, you know, being a bit of a jerk and I can widen the way I think and I can step away from certain ideas that I've, um, that I've had. And so, that, you know, that uh, may make sense as we talk then a little bit today, but I just thought maybe it's helpful to say why I, I like a subject like this and why I'm interested so often in talking about this is because it's, it's actually been, it's been my journey at some level that, that engaging with study has changed me. And friends will, of mine will tell you there's like a lot of work still to do. Uh, like this is nowhere near process. So these are, these are kind of thoughts from somebody in the middle of a journey of change, uh, of which I think study has been uh, a huge, a huge part uh, of that. Now, so what I want to do is have just a little bit of fun because it, all of that time in, uh, in university, uh, brought me uh, immense debt and a great love for just playing around with the text of the Bible. And, um, you know, Jesus calls you to stuff and it's still not free. So, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, let's just have a moment and think about our debt. <laughs> Dear Lord, please come back before I have to pay this off. Amen. And <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's like the only thing you're going to remember from tonight. You know, that guy was 43 and still has student debt. Um, the <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you're not sure if that's a joke or not, are you? I'm going to leave that out there. And, uh, um, 
in Mark chapter one, are we, I can't see the screen, so that's working. No, no, I don't need to see the screen. Just, I, I only need to know that it's working and then I, I know what I'm doing from here. Um, here's a little line, um, just two verses from, uh, two or three verses, sorry, rather, from, from Mark chapter one. So this is right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark thought of by many people to probably be the earliest of the gospels. Um, we don't need to worry too much about whether that's true or not, it, it did, but it, it seems to be uh, for a lot, of, a lot of reasons. And so one of the things that's really interesting about Mark is he says really big things in really brief ways. So you end up with kind of really nice, succinct verses every now and again. And here we have Jesus, and it, and it just says this. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. And in case you miss what's going on here, because they were fishermen. Um, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So like fun little text that actually often this is a text we're kind of familiar with. Maybe you bumped into it from a different gospel, but you've probably heard this text before. It makes it into like all the children's Bibles. If you have grown up in church, it's a nice picture of, you know, Jesus looking like somebody from Sweden and um, and he's calling to you know other people from Sweden who are in the boat and uh, and like oh and there's so many deep issues we can do another whole talk on <laughs> white people in children's Bibles but <laughs> let's, uh, let's, uh, let's let's just uh, yeah I mean goodness there's some pain there but um Jesus is constantly referred to throughout the Gospels as a rabbi, um, which actually is quite informative to us because it tells us a lot. It tells us that Jesus has somehow, and we could, again, a lot of tension over this, but, but the likelihood is that Jesus is in very close proximity to, or perhaps even one of, a group of people called Pharisees. Um, Pharisees are are this sort of movement within Judaism uh, around the time of Jesus that that were deeply committed to text, they were deeply committed to study, they were very, very serious about taking God seriously. And the way they took God seriously was by committing themselves very seriously to the text. And so most of the time was spent arguing about the text and learning the text so that we might live out the text, right? And um, Pharisees, a brief side note, because of how many of us reach, read the Bible, the Pharisees often appear to us to be the bad guys, um, which, you know, you kind of get, you know, all the Pharisees are always arguing with Jesus. And that has led to a lot of anti-Semitism in Scripture, which is deeply unhelpful. Uh, largely enough, uh, you really, I don't need to tell you you shouldn't be anti-Semitic, but when people lean towards anti-Semitic, just let's remember that the entire hope of the world hangs on a Jewish man called Jesus. So it gets forgotten a lot <laughs> in all of that. But we have these these Pharisees who were deeply serious about the text, they were the conservatives of their day. They were the people who were absolutely serious about God and so serious that they, they really wanted to make sure that they argued things seriously. Jesus seems to be part of this group, not least of all, people call him rabbi, which was a sort of title of respect for these people who were teachers, right? So, so you're in this story and it gets forgotten. We're talking about study here. Uh, we're in this story and most of the characters in the stories of the Gospels that you engage with are either teachers or learners. Right? And sometimes it's not almost immediately apparent to us. There's a couple of other characters moving around. But Jesus, rabbi means teacher. Jesus argues with other Pharisees. They're also rabbis. So now you're just watching teachers arguing with teachers. It's like insight into the staff room. And, um, 
And then you've got people who have come to Jesus because they want to learn things from Jesus. And then sometimes, quite regularly, what you see Jesus doing is teaching things. So, so just, it's just not a huge point, but just hold that in mind that when you read the Gospels, there's a lot of teaching going on in those Gospels. Now, how rabbis taught uh, is quite interesting and just you know, go and Google it at some point. It's fascinating. You have all sorts of fun Googling about how rabbis taught. But one of the things I just want to say is that rabbis taught in a very immersive way, in a very um, imitative way. So the process that a rabbi would call a student to come and follow him was, was dealing with a lot of issues, one of which the rabbinic model essentially worked, that the idea was that we are connected to a very deep and long history. A lot of stuff's happened to bring us here. And we've had to learn texts and learn arguments and learn discussions and, and understand what is God calling us to be like. And when a rabbi called a person to come and learn from them, there was always this hope that you could be the type of student who would learn the history and understand the traditions and know the story to the extent that one day you could pass it on to somebody else. So it wasn't just simply a question of what can I learn. It was a question of what can I be? because I'm really good at this learning, then one day I will teach somebody else. So when a rabbi says, hey, why don't you come and be my student? There's a hope from the rabbi, and you would hear this as a first century uh, Jewish young person. You would hear this invitation of hope and this invitation of trust as well. I actually think you can probably carry some stuff like I am carrying stuff. Bear in mind, the idea of learning in those days wasn't that you come up with brand new things that nobody's ever heard before. The idea was that you can be faithful to the story that we think we're part of and keep telling that story in, in loyal and, 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 and ways of faithfulness. So disciples followed rabbis in order to become like that rabbi so that they could ultimately be a rabbi and teach other people. And you see this, I mean, there's great readings out there of, of some disciples just getting obsessive with this. Like, so they would watch their rabbi eat, so that they would eat like their rabbi, right? And they would like, they would try and align their bowel movements with their rabbi. So when their rabbi was doing something, they too were doing something. And, and you know, this idea that, that and we can sort of dismiss that and it's kind of funny sounding, but, but don't miss what they're doing in this process is that if I can be as like you as I can, then I can somehow learn the ways that you're calling us to. So when a rabbi says, follow me, <laughs> um, there's, something, there's a lot going on there. There's an exchange of trust happening. There's an invitation of belief going on. If a rabbi says, you should follow me, the rabbi is saying, I believe that you could potentially be the type of person who can live, tell, and pass on this story, which might explain why they follow him. Right? Most of the children's Bible struggle to make sense of that. It's like, I don't know, I just kind of thought maybe he was the Messiah. That's not what the Bible says. They didn't follow him because they thought he was the son of God. They didn't follow him because they thought he was the hope of the world. They followed him because he believed in them, right? Because he said to them, why don't you follow me? And, you know, if they're fishers and they're in their boats doing all of this sort of work, then that means other rabbis haven't asked them. They've not been trusted before with this story. So anyway, I think that's interesting. Um, Hopefully, you do as well. Now, but Mark, of course, is telling you this now, right? So now let's remember that right at the start of his, his gospel, he tells you this bit where Jesus says, you know, why don't you, why don't you follow me? So whenever you read a gospel, there's two dramas going on in the gospel, right? There's a drama of what actually happened, right? So there's some people in a boat, and Jesus says, why don't you follow you? 
But there's another drama that's happened that you're aware of, but maybe not aware of, and that's you, the reader, because now Jesus is saying to you, follow me. Um, And bear in mind, these texts didn't come around just because, hey, we just have some things we need to write down and somebody has some spare papers, so let's write about Jesus, right? These texts are written to to teach us and to to help us learn. So when we're reading a text like this, always bear in mind that there's a sort of what's going on and what's going on, right, Uh, in, in the process. Now, the reason I say that, because one of the things that fascinates me about Christianity is that it's a... It's a religion of learners, or it should be. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, that's another whole podcast. <laughs> uh, it should be a religion of learners. One of the fascinating things about Christians is how much they wanted to learn. They formed relational networks really quickly. We call them churches, but essentially groups of people getting together. But the best insights that we have into what they did is they talked about what had gone on in Jesus. They talked about what that meant. What are the implications for it? And and all these different people from different categories and backgrounds and social and economic structures gathered together around communion tables to focus on Jesus, to learn things together. All of the documents that we have from the early church appear to be teaching documents. Paul wrote letters to the church most of Paul's letters can be broadly summarized as what the heck is wrong with you all, right? And, uh, and, and why are you doing that stuff? Uh, you people are sick. And, um, and, and, and basically what Paul's trying to do is say, like, stop being like that. Be like this. You said you were a Jesus follower and kind of what you're doing. One of my favorite lines of Paul is in Corinthians where he's just like, like not even pagans behave like this. Right? Like you followed Jesus and got worse, not better. Right? Um, and, and so there's this constant call to, to learn and grow, but the Gospels again, right? Don't think of the Gospels as, you know, four different ways to learn about the historic nature of Jesus. The Gospels are telling you a story because they want you to learn things. They want you to grow. They want you to trust, actually, at some level. And even Acts. Acts is constantly trying to teach you. But they're all teaching us and inviting us to wrestle with them, inviting us to converse over them in in very particular ways. And as I was just kind of goofing around having talked myself into uh into coming and talking to you (laughs) all this evening i thought actually the more i played around with this text i just saw little bits that i thought let's keep a text small and just maybe you're the type of person that highlights your bible maybe the type of person just take notes or or maybe you're like those people in church on sunday morning that just take pictures of every screen uh that that comes (laughs) up um you can be whichever you want i just want to highlight just a couple of few moments in this text that i think create a structure for us of study and of of engagement that, that that hopefully uh you find exciting um and if not, I mean, I won't go on forever, okay? So uh, they were fishing in their boat, the text says here, and for they were fishermen. I mean, it's, it's, I love the irony of it. Like, just in case, you know, they were fishing in the boat for they were apple accountants, you know? Um, <laughs> but I, the more I play around with this text and the more I think about it and just try and be imaginative with it, I love being imaginative with the text. And what's actually going on here? Um, it's a little device, it seems, to do one thing. At first glance, it feels like, it feels like Mark is telling you, oh, but these people in a boat doing fishing stuff, all oh, those people are fishermen. <laughs> um, and Mark doesn't think you're an idiot. I think what Mark's actually doing is, is in telling you what they are, he's also telling you what they're not. Right? And, and, and I think it's worth just hold that in your mind for a moment. It's not what they are, 
but what they're not. Now, we've read the text already, so we know the plot. What we're about to find out is that by the end of this story, they're going to be invited to not be fishermen. And the contrast, they are, they are fishermen, which means a rabbi has not asked them to follow them before, right? A rabbi has not come to them and said, I think you can tell the story. I think you can be part of the journey of, of, of shaping the future. No one said that to them because they're fishermen. <laughs> and by the end of these two verses now, they get not to be fishermen. But moving that on, and I, I'm doing a great job of handling my own tech here. We're about four slides behind. But I'm just going to highlight the parts that I want to talk about just to sort of help you out there. Jesus says to them, follow me, right? So question, and perhaps this is the main question that I want to ask. It's just taking us a long time to get there. Um, and we're nowhere, nowhere near the end. Um, the, Jesus says to them, follow me. So here's the question. And you are deep in the dirt right now of studying and of exams and all of that sort of thing. And I am... I spent like, uh, how many years? I was nine years, I was a professor. Uh, we, they don't call us that in the UK. So uh, they just, I don't know what they call it, lecturers, you know. But that, I, I taught in seminary for, for nine years. And so I know a lot about both sides of your pain. You know, the pain of you having to write the stuff and the pain of me having to read it. And, um, and, and your pain is like, oh my goodness, I didn't listen well enough in class. And that is exactly the same pain that I have. It's like, why didn't they listen so well in class? Um, and uh, let's come back to that in just a minute. But here's my question for you. Do you think of study as following? How has your theology of learning been adjusted by the context in which you learn? Right? And, and I just want to suggest, as people in a Western context, I don't know all of your backgrounds, but here we are, and you're all probably studying in Calgary because nobody travels far to listen to me. So, so I'm guessing you're all studying relatively locally. You're in a Western model of education. And I wonder how many times we could have gone around the room before anybody would say, well, I think of studying as following something. Right? Um, and I wonder if that's problematic. And, I, and that's something that you can um, think about, perhaps. Because what I'm going to suggest is that is I think there's more likelihood that you don't think of study as following. And you probably, therefore, don't automatically think of studying as listening either. right? Um, and again, I might be wrong, but I'm just throwing that out there. But you probably do think of study as a contest. You probably do think of it as a contest. Um, and maybe you've never used that word before, but let me tell you why I think you think it's a contest. Because you study, probably, some amount of your study is because you need to practice. Because at some point, you're going to take a test. And please don't answer this question, because although I'm no longer in the classroom, I still have a lot of scars. Um, the, but how many of you wouldn't study quite as hard if you didn't have a test? Please don't respond at all, right, okay? And, <laughs> but ask yourself that question. How hard would I study if I didn't have a test? You see, because studying doesn't hold enough value in the Western educational model, right? Uh, all it holds value is numbers and marks and stratification. And are you better than the person next to you or worse? And what kind of job will you get? And will you be so bad that you now get to do a master's degree? And, uh, and, and, and this sort of starts to shape how we think about education in deeply destructive ways massively difficult ways. Because this happened a long time ago for you, probably in school 
maybe when you literally counted your age in single digits. Something started to form and shape you that you do learning to pass tests. Right? And, and this is a terrible idea, by the way, uh, particularly as a pastor, because then on Sunday you come to church and I go, let's learn about the Bible. And you go, when's the test? And I go, there's not a test. Um, because I'm like super liberal. And, uh, the, the, uh, and I say there's no test and therefore you don't study. <laughs> because if there isn't a test, what's the point in studying? Right? Um, and you've been in that. You know that pain that I'm talking about. You've sat in a classroom and you're like, is this on the test? Who's going to ask him if this is on the test? Right? And, and I've been in those moments and students are like, is this on the test? I'm like, no. And you see it happen in everyone's eyes. <laughs> like, like I'm off now. <laughs> like this is lovely. Apart from that one geek on the front row, and uh, and they're like, it's so great, sir. I'm just writing it down. <laughs> but I think this is damaging to us. I think it's damaging for us to think about learning like that. And I think it's damaging. And, I, and this, I'm not here to talk today about my problems with the Western education system. But, but I want you to think about your own life and how study has been shaped by testing and and to maybe think you're, you're in the system right now and, and and you know you or people that love you are, are putting a lot of cash towards making this happen or the government who kind of love you as long as you pay it back and the but there's people that are invested in this and you're not going to you know please don't go into class next week and say you know i am here to fight the system we're going to educate like like the jews of jesus's era you know like that's not what i'm saying your life is longer than university. And what you have to decide is how much is my experience of learning here shaping the way I'm gonna go about the rest of my life, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, I have a fantastic testing system that I'd love you to come and join me in. He said, follow me, right? And um, I think also that, you know, Paul said this thing in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which I think is even more awesome because now we've got rows of people following each other, all of them. Jesus is there and we're, and we're sort of coming after him. So, you know, go back to what I was saying. Do you think of studying as a following and are, do you think of studying as a listening? You know, the only story we have of Jesus as a, as a child, other than the baby Jesus stories, is Jesus listening. Like, theologically, Phil's going to deal with this in his Trinity sermon on Sunday, but <laughs> theologically, you know, uh, Phil and I were at a lecture just recently, you know, and the, the lecturer asked the question, how much do we think about the idea that God came and learned, right? Um, you know, that somebody taught Jesus to walk, you know? You never thought about that, did you? you know, I always just think about yourself, that's why. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry, it's a really bad joke. And, uh, but but the, we don't think about, you know, Jesus, like Willie Jennings we were listening to, he talked, you know, Jesus, somebody taught Jesus to walk, probably Mary, right? Somebody taught Jesus to speak, right? Somebody taught Jesus how to read the Bible. And it's a fascinating thought that we, that, and none of that's heretical to say, by the way. Actually, it's heretical to think that's not true, right? Um, really, really fascinating. Um, but we don't like to listen. We like to see study as a contest. And the problem what happens when you see study as a contest is you start to treat learning like something you can own and something you're in possession of and therefore something you need to defend, right? How often have you been in the situation that the grade the test gives you seems okay until you see somebody else's grade? Right? And you see somebody else's grade and now your grade's a problem, right? Why? <laughs> 
because it's a contest, right? And, and contests need to be defended. I don't need to be the fastest person ever. I just like to be faster than everybody else, right? Um, and that removes the open-handedness of learning because now when we go into a learning environment, we're not actually postured to learn, we're postured to fight. Uh, and, and then we start to live in a fighting context about learning. And I think we bring that over into our spirituality. And then somebody stands up in church one day and says something new that you've never heard before. And your first thought about it is to defend the way that you think rather than be open to the way that somebody else is thinking is coming to the text. The rabbi said the text of the scriptures like, like, a, like a ruby, maybe like a kaleidoscope or something like that, where you hold it up to the sun and you see something in, 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 the, in the gem. But if you just turn it a little bit, you see something else entirely. And if you keep turning, you keep seeing something different. And you may never be able to get back to see what you saw the first time. But if we're defensive, we say, no, you need to look at it like this. And that is perhaps a mistake. But we're only at the first bit. Um, let's move faster. Jesus then says this, and this is all connected, actually. Jesus says, I will. I thought it was really interesting. I just, this kind of, this was a late addition to my thinking, but I, I just want to say this really, really quickly. One of the other challenges you're going to encounter with your learning is that you become the protagonist of your learning. I'm here to choose this course because it's what I want to do and I have a plan for my life. And Jesus says, follow me because I've got some stuff I'd like to do too. Right? Um, and I, I think if we're going to learn at a spiritual level and apply spirituality to all of our learning, I think we need to reject, I'm just going to call it liberal notions of freedom. I'm always cautious of using the word liberal, especially in Alberta, because people thinking I'm making some sort of slur against Justin Trudeau. I'm not. I'm talking about the sort of liberal Western mindset that says, basically, I get to do whatever I want, and that's the best thing for me. Right? One of the things I love about the Bible is that subtly in its structure and how it builds, it, and it's kind of there, now I've said this, you'll see this everywhere, the Bible basically works from a process that you are probably the worst person to decide what to do with your life. Right? And, um, and that, like, ooh, that, offend, that offends us a little bit because of the world that we've grown up in says, no, you get to be the captain of your own ship. Imagine signing up to a program. You're, you're there and you're like, I'd like to come to UFC. And they're like, that's great. We'll just take you on the program that you need. <laughs> like, like this is kind of what's going on with the disciples here. I've got some stuff I'm going to do with you, right? Come along. Let, let's, let's, join, let's join the journey. And I think it's because what we've falsely understood is that freedom is us getting to do whatever we want without any structures or restrictions. And therefore, our lives become chaotic and we don't study very well because it's a bit of this, it's a bit of that, it's a bit of the next time. I had a conversation with somebody just this week and they talked about the research and it, as, as it unfolded, TikTok had a lot to do with the research and it was basically a stream of 15 you know, second, 30 second videos that just bouncing ideas all over the place. And we kind of like the sound of that. But he, one, of, one of my professors used to say this, that true true study and true learning is impossible unless we give up our understanding of freedom, right? So I, I, I have a kind of, you know, as many people do, I have a kind of broad sort of love of different types of music. I, I love listening to Hendrix play guitar, right? And the fascinating thing about Hendrix is he had a guitar stand by his front door of his house. And when he came into his house, he would put that guitar on. And the whole time he spent in his house, he had that guitar and he was always practicing and learning. 
Is that super free? Actually, that could sound really restricted, right? But what you hear when you hear him play is this phenomenal guitar. Or maybe you've one day gone and seen an amazing concert pianist that just their hands float around the keyboard as, as if like, you know, just like somehow they just know what they need to do. And it looks beautiful and amazingly free. But I guarantee you the process of getting to that place was structure, was restriction, was actually having to sometimes learn things you didn't want to learn, practice things you didn't want to practice. And I think we live in the, in, in the 21st century, particularly with this illusion of control, wherein we say, I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that's the best thing and the best way forward. Stanley Hauerwas, one of my favorite theologians, says, the problem we have in the West is we live as though we're going to get out of this alive. <laughs> and following Jesus is training for life out of control. And so Jesus says, I will. And what will Jesus do? He will make them. It's again, fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about this for a moment. Um, is education something you do for your brain? Or is it bigger than that? Uh, James Smith who is like, if you want to think really deeply about education, James Smith's uh, trilogy of books on cultural liturgies, particularly part one, he thinks a lot about how we educate in the West. And he's slightly um, obsessed with our brain obsession. And essentially our idea in the West, as long as you can sort out your thinking, everything else will be better. And the world is evidence of that idea being utterly false. And <laughs> um, we can think a lot and still not behave any differently. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of our model of education and study, and that and it affects our spirituality, is, is deeply brain-focused. If we can get enough ideas, if we can get enough new ideas, then everything will be okay. But it's interesting that Jesus again says to these disciples here, you know, follow me and I will, so we know all about that piece, but I will make you something. He's not, they're going to become something. They're not just going to learn something. They're not just going to have new ideas and, and bigger brains. They're actually going to be formed into something else. What if the depth of study that we need to shape our holistic lives, which includes our spirituality, what if it's about formation, not information? Uh, what if it's about actually being shaped and, and molded into something? What if it's about my desires, my loves, the things that I'm aimed at with my life, not just ideas that I have in my brain? You know, I quite regularly find myself in contexts where people say, you know, David's really smart, and they're referencing some degrees that I've, that, that, that I've got, and they don't know how much I cheated, and, um, and you know, but, but it's this perception we have, oh, that person might be smart, but is that person wise, right? Is that person, let's talk about this, we've all said the creed, so I'm just working from an assumption of, of some faith here, right? It was a joke, okay? And, um, <laughs> the, um, you know, you said the creed, so you're in now, it doesn't matter, nothing you can do about it, and uh, Jesus loves you, and, uh, but, but what about being Christ-like? Right? Like, why is that not a genuinely valued quality? Right? Um, because that's about formation, not just information. Study is a theological process. Right? Um, because good study, it's not simply the science of our brains being sharper, but it's about us being formed towards a goal, towards an aim, towards a vision. Of, we, have an, we have an end in mind. Uh, and, and the call of Jesus is to be like him, 
Remember, even at a very practical level, he's a rabbi. You follow a rabbi to be like him. The New Testament makes a huge deal of this through the rest of its story, that we're following Jesus to be Christ-like. Fascinatingly, of course, the ends are normally the means. Right? How do you become Christ-like? By being Christ-like. How do you become good? By doing good things. Right? So the aim that you're going for, you actually becomes the way that you go about doing these things. But it's about... It's about it's about something much deeper than just what we know. Smith, actually, I quote from Smith for you here. Smith says, an education is a constellation of practices, rituals, and routines that inculcates a particular vision of the good life by inscribing or infusing that vision into the heart or into the gut, right? which I love that image, by means of material embodied practices. Now, I hope what you notice when Smith says this is that He's not, he doesn't talk a lot about your brain, which is what we always talk about when it comes to education and study and learning. He's actually talking about something deep down in you that forms and shapes you, that we learn so that we are different, not just smarter. Jesus doesn't say, come follow me because you're going to be really smart and you will ace Torah quiz from now on. Right? Jesus says, come follow me because I'm going to make you into something. And that something None of the English translations do a good job of this, but, but if, you know, fishermen of people, right, is, is, is the kind of best with the, the new, the NIV, I don't know what went on on that day in translation. They have it something like, I will send you to fish for people. Like, what? You know, the point is they were fishermen. Now they have new jobs, right? But they've been changed and formed differently. But here's the question. Jesus does not form them into Christian fishermen. All right? Uh, and I think that's really important, okay? Uh, because one of the big mistakes we make all the time, and I say this as somebody that taught in a seminary context as well, and we're really bad at this in the seminary context, is like the best way for us to be in the world is take the educational processes that are everywhere else and just pray at the start of every class. <laughs> and if we can Christianize your economics, and if we can Christianize your history, and if we can Christianize your idea of science, then that's a good Christian education, right? But the disciples here don't move from average fishermen to fishermen with really good morals, right? They don't become fishermen who now, you know, don't cheat on their taxis because they went to the tax help class that is held at Brentview. And, uh, you know, they, uh, which I noticed, by the way, there's no food at that one. I'm just, there was like three announcements, two with food, one without food, and it was the taxis one. I'm just like, you know... I'm just pointing that out, okay? So they, um, the, they didn't become just average or even good fishermen that now believed in Jesus, right? And this is a huge mistake when it comes to our, to our process of how we think. And now just notice what we're talking about here. We're not talking just about studying a bit of our spirituality. We're asking, what does it look like to be spiritual people and study, right? And, and, and very often, I think what happens is we just try and Christianize our education, Right. Uh, Paul says this, this is his prayer for the church in Galatia. He says, my little children, slightly patronizing, but that is how they were behaving. My little children for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There was a whole bunch of stuff that people in Galatia were getting wrong, right? They were misunderstanding stuff all over the place. They were, their learning was to pot. And Paul doesn't pray that they just get their brains sorted out. So this problem they've got is that they're not Christ-like and Christ's not being formed in them. So what does it mean for us not to be Christian fishermen, but different 
types of catchers. And again, Smith, Smith says uh, in, uh, later on in one of his books, he says, he says, being a disciple of Jesus is not primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. Rather, it's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly, who loves God and neighbor and is oriented to the world by the primacy of that love. So again, what we do is you take this idea of study and you blow it up because now everything is in its purview because everything can be about being formed like and into Jesus. So I think what I'm trying to say is that spiritual study or the spirituality of study isn't about being a better student. It's about being a better disciple. And I'm playing a little bit with semantics there because, but just it's not about being a better student that does better on tests. Spirituality of study is not, dear Jesus, help me be a better chemist, okay? The spirituality of study is help me be a Jesus-like chemist that will help the world be formed after Jesus. And that's going to change how we have to think. And it's going to change how we have to behave. And actually, we're going to have to maybe learn to live with things that put us out of sync with our neighbor. Right? Because you're going to sit in classrooms with people who are under immense pressure to achieve particular metrics or particular standards or particular requirements. And I would just counsel you that life is long and God has a lot to do in your life. And, and worry more about what are, am I being formed into at this point in my life rather than the number that I'm achieving or, the, or the, the, the where I am in my class or on what point in the bell curve am I. That is not who you are, and, and that's not what's going to shape the rest of your life. I, and some of that comes from deep pain. I sweat a lot of blood and a lot of tears to be top of my class, and here's what it meant. Absolutely nothing. Right? And uh, the people that liked me liked me, and people that didn't like me, they still didn't like me and liked me less. And, um, and, 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 but what it, what it didn't do, and by this pursuit of trying to do that, I, I sacrificed all other areas of formation that God in his graciousness gave me second chances on. But, but I, we just so often just get focused on this one thing and forget about what is going on. So spiritual study isn't about being a better student. It's about being a better disciple. It should be about the goodness of God being formed and shaped in us. So I kind of tried to think about saying it like this. Try and put it in a bit of a sentence of what am I actually trying to say here? The spirituality of study is a humility of learning it's not a contest, and I don't know it all, so I want to be open. It's a humility of learning that's found in an invitation to imitate. Come follow me. Come be like me. Come and learn the ways that I am doing things. So it's about, it's about humility of learning, an invitation to imitate, which becomes practices of formation into Christ-likeness. What are the things that I then do as a result of my study? So again, listen to me. Not the things that I think, but the things that I do as a result of what I'm learning that make me be more like Jesus. Because you can be really smart and a big jerk, right? And I've been to a lot of academic conferences, and there is a lot of people at academic conferences talking about Jesus and being big jerks. <laughs> and somehow they've learned a lot, but they've not been formed a lot by that. And so for me, this journey then is to be, what are the practices that change who I am towards Jesus, which then allows us to be the right type of people. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm putting a lot of weight on that word right there. 
One of the things I love about the New Testament is the word right also is the same word as justice. So there's about this depth of the way things should be. And I think if we can follow, I will make you fishers of people, Jesus says to these disciples. I have an end in mind. And if you come with me, I'm going to show you what that end is. And it's about helping the world see the right way to be. So how do they do that? How do we do that? What are the practices? You know, um, I want to invite you to pray. (laughs) Maybe pray more. And maybe open yourself up to how prayer can shape you. The rabbi said that an hour of study is worth two of prayer. And I think that's worth wrestling with and thinking about. Why are they talking about study and prayer in the same sentence? Why are they quantifying their, in, their integration with each other? The disciples come to Jesus and they want to learn from him and think about what they ask him. Teach us to pray. <laughs> um, and I think we need to learn to see prayer as part of our study process. Because... Think about, like, you know, one of the things of living in faith communities and, and, and being in faith communities like we're in is we say really ridiculous things sometimes and we're all like, oh, that's great, and we write it down in our notes. So, so far, here's what I've said to you. Our job is to be like Jesus, right? And you've all said, oh, that's really good, right? Um, but that's nuts. <laughs> Look, it's Jesus. How are we going to be like Jesus? Do we know how to be like Jesus, right? Um, because here's what happens when we all go out and try really hard to be like Jesus. We start assessing ourselves against each other and we decide who's the most holy and who's the most like Jesus. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to need some help. <laughs> and, uh, and the help's probably not going to come entirely from us. It's going to come from our friends. But it's going to come from the Holy Spirit. It's going to come from Jesus himself. And one of the ways that we engage and humble ourselves in all of that is to learn to pray. Because prayer forms us, right? Prayer shapes us. And, and I, one of the things that I'm learning a lot in the minute is to learn to pray in the traditions of the story that we live in. Pray old prayers, right? Don't, don't feel that prayer is just you coming up with your own thing because prayer can be a study too, you see. So find prayers of people that love God more than you, right? And pray their prayers, right? Psalms is a really good place to start, okay? I mean, they're in the Bible, so relatively safe, right? Um, <laughs> Well, safe theologically, but pretty terrifying at times. Um, How do we learn to pray these prayers? Pray the prayers of the church fathers. Pray the prayers of the saints. Pray the prayers of somebody you heard last week pray a really good prayer. Because in the process, we're learning how to talk to God, which is opening ourselves up to be shaped by God, right? And we're learning at the same time. Wonderful. Phil's uh, friends and someone that we respect deeply, Chris Green, says this, and I'm just, I'm, li- I'm living on this quote this year. Uh, Chris Green says this, just as we live on borrowed breath. Think about that for a second. Slightly terrifying, but also beautiful. We live on borrowed breath. Just as we live on borrowed breath, it is also true that we pray borrowed prayers. We only learn how to pray by praying prayers we did not write by praying prayers that did not rise up in us at first. Like I come from a very Pentecostal evangelical background, so really good prayers are ones you make up yourself. <laughs> and it took me a lot of years to, to not really read Scripture seriously and notice that when Jesus is in one of the difficult points of his life, he prays a borrowed prayer. <laughs> you know, what's Jesus going to say on the cross? <laughs> Psalm 22. <laughs> a prayer that he learned probably as a child, that somebody taught him. And if Jesus can pray borrowed prayers, then like I need to get over myself a little bit. You know, it's not more super spiritual. Actually, it might be worse because here's what I notice when I pray my own prayers, it's a lot about me. (laughs) 
And Jesus calls me to be deeper than that and to be formed by that. So I am about 45 minutes over my time. Um, so I'm going to invite you to pray a borrowed prayer. <laughs> a prayer that's rooted in study. Lord, teach us to pray. <laughs> the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And I put it to you that if you spend some time in this prayer, pray as often as you can. One of the beautiful things about borrowed prayers is you, you pray them and you like them. You pray them a few more days later and they start to you know, get a bit familiar. And then they kind of get boring. Right? Um, like, and even the Lord's Prayer gets boring. Right? But don't give up at that point. Okay? Keep praying it. And what you'll find, I promise you this, right? this, is my, this is my guarantee. What you'll find if you keep praying it is you'll start to pick back up again. Right? And you'll start to see something you never saw before. And you're like, well, why did that verse hit me that particular way in this particular day? And, and, and it'll curve its way back up. It's the opposite of the bell curve that you all hate so much. And it'll keep going. And then one day you'll find yourself realizing that I love this now more than I did when I started, even though I've been so familiar to it. And then the Holy Spirit kind of gets involved in the process and you'll find yourself finding things in that text that you've never seen before. Uh, and, and you'll find it resonating with you in ways you'd never resonated before but i'd put it to you if you spend a lot of time with this prayer there's so much formation in there and here is my tip for you stop praying this prayer once you've mastered forgive us as we forgive those <laughs> you know because that'll take a long time <laughs> lord forgive me in the same way that i forgive everybody else you know oh my goodness <laughs> So what I want to simply do is invite you to pray this prayer with me this evening. Not in any super fancy way. We'll just read it together as a community. Is that okay? So let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power. You've got different words than me. I'm so sorry. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I had nothing in my notes uh, at that last piece. And as I started to remember it, I realized, oh, I put it in a different version on there. I'm so sorry. Um, there are still things to learn. <laughs> so with that, may you find in the call to follow Jesus... May you find the freedom that you're looking for but can't find in all the other ways that people tell you you can be free. May you find just the joy in giving up control to Jesus. And may you be released from the fear of the test to something much bigger called formation. And may, as Paul prayed thousands of years ago, may Christ be formed in you. Amen. Amen.